Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word that is before us. Thank you for your anointing on Lord, and we pray your continued blessing on us as he preaches your word. May he preach your word with confidence, with boldness. May you anoint him with strength and power from on high as he preaches this morning. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Bless you. Let me know when you're ready for some help. Greetings in the name of Jesus this morning. Welcome to our time of worship. We're happy you've chosen to join us here today. As I was thinking about that song, we're just singing, Great is God's faithfulness. God truly is faithful. You know, we've had a lot of prayers go up to heaven the last few weeks for people in our, our congregation here. And we're thrilled to have Jaden and Janae and Cedar back in church this morning. God truly is faithful. We praise him for that, as well as others who have had needs uh, in our community. We just thank him for his faithfulness in providing for us and caring for us as we have lifted them up in prayer. This morning, I am going to be trusting his faithfulness to, to carry me through this, this message. Um, as some of you that attend here on a regular basis know that in the wintertime, sometimes my voice can, can give me issues. I can get coughing fits, and, and this week my voice has been uh, bothering me a little bit. My throat has been feeling a little dry, so I've been doing everything in my power to make sure that um, I can speak well this morning, and I guess we let it in God's hands from here. Um, Mel is going to be coming up partway through to do some of my scripture reading, so that's, that's why he's doing that this morning. Before a message this morning, um, as you probably guessed from the title, I'm going to be looking at um, John the Baptist, and being in, in the drawing close to Christmas, I've wanted to look at um, part of the Christmas story, and I chose to look at John the Baptist, and it was interesting to me how um, John chose to speak on another promised son last week, and now this week um, we're looking at another promised son to a couple in their elder years. You know, the Christmas story has so much joy contained within it as we see God fulfilling the promises he had made to his people over the thousands of years leading up to this. And he had spoken to Adam and Eve in the garden after their fall of sin, with his plan of reconciliation, he had made a covenant with Abraham, promising of this time where all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And he had promised King David that an everlasting king would come from his lineage. And many prophets foretold of this time that we see here as we celebrate the Christmas season and the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. So today I want to look at the life of a man who foretold this coming. He was coming before the king. And the first scripture verse I want to look at is Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 8. It'll be the first text I want to look at this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. 
Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken. The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So here we see the Lord telling the people through the prophet Isaiah that there was coming a time of healing and restoration. And if we know the history of the Jewish people, we know they suffered much throughout the years. They suffered much at the hand of their enemies because they had fallen away from God and God brought punishment on them through other nations. But God is foretelling of a time when there would be grace and forgiveness. God would pardon the sins of the people. And we rejoice that now this time has, has come to pass. God long, no longer asked his people to participate in warfare. He said there would be a time where her warfare is accomplished. The time of war would be over. God has taken his people away from warfare. He has brought them into a time of peace. You know, Jesus told Pilate at his trial that his kingdom is not of this world, so his servants do not fight. The kingdom of heaven is about, not about earthly conquests and dominion over others, but it's about conquering the battles in our own hearts and lives. That's where true peace comes from. That's where, when we get true peace and healing. The sacrifice of God's only beloved son, Jesus, on the cross made it possible also for us to enjoy peace and pardon, as it says there in verse 2. It talks about being pardoned from their iniquities. Jesus came and made it possible for us to have pardon and peace. And those truly are comforting words, as Isaiah said here. And after a period of 400 years of silence, God was again ready to speak through a messenger to mankind. In verses 3 and 4, the Lord prophesied through Isaiah what the job of this messenger was to be. He would preach. He was... It says, the voice of him that crieth, in verse 3, the message of John the Baptist was one of repentance and preparation. The life and message of John the Baptist was to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming Messiah to receive the coming kingdom of heaven. John was calling the people to rid themselves of things that would impede this redemptive work. And as I read over this passage, there's, there's a few pictures that come to mind as I study this. And one of them is, and I'm, I'm guessing many of you are familiar with this, this stretch of road, a stretch of road, um, Route 15 or I-99, which whatever you want to call it, that goes from Corning to Williamsport. <coughs> when I moved into this area about 20 years ago, there were sections of that road that were four-lane and there were sections of it that were two-lane. You had to pass through these small towns, um, there was winding, tight turns in some spots. 
And we pretty much knew that there was going to be, come a time when that was a four-lane highway through that whole stretch. And I would look at the, those mountainsides and think, how are they going to get a road through there? How are they going to get the road through those twite, tight, twisting, turny you know, places? Slowly and surely, but surely they tackled the project, you know, they, they moved mountains, they filled in the valleys, they, they took off the high places, they smoothed it out, they cut down the trees, and now there's a wide, smooth four-lane highway that stretches from Corning all the way down to the outskirts of Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. And at the end, there's a really um, special thing they built. It's a bridge almost a mile long. This is just shy of a mile long, and it's 180 feet above the Susquehanna River. Someone put a lot of time and effort into smoothing the way for others so that their travel could be smooth and much more enjoyable, and they could get to their destination in a nice, easy manner. <coughs> this is what John was called to do in a spiritual sense for the people of Jesus' time. Another thing, another picture that comes to mind, and some of you are also probably familiar with this, but <clears throat> Alicia's sister and family live in Mountain Home, Virginia, and they work at Faith Mission. And if any of you have ever been to Faith Mission, you know that the roads there are quite different than around here. And I'm always happy to come back and drive New York roads. You know, within a Within a quarter mile or so from, my, from where I live, I can be on um, New York Route 14. I can, within 40 minutes, be on an interstate in either direction, <clears throat> and we can you know, travel very quickly and very nicely. But there in Virginia, it's very difficult to get anywhere very fast. There's no direct route anywhere. And so travel can be quite frustrating. And so these are our two pictures that came to mind when I think about John and we think in a spiritual sense of what he was doing for the people. He was preparing their hearts so that when Jesus came, they would be ready and willing to receive his message. Another passage of scripture I'd like to turn to is in Malachi. There's just a few verses that I would like to look at for a few moments where... The prophet there also points forward <coughs> to John the Baptist. <clears throat> so look at Malachi 3, verse 1, and then I'll read Malachi 4. Malachi 3, verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> for behold, the day cometh... So, sorry, I go into chapter 4 now. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. <coughs> Excuse me. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded you in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, <coughs> excuse me, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So here again we have an Old Testament prophet foretelling of the coming of this messenger, John the Baptist. And it's interesting when the angel came to John's father, Zechariah, to tell him about the birth of his son, John, that in Luke 1.17, the angel actually quotes this passage from Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Jesus also refers to Malachi 3.1, when he's speaking to the people about John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, um, John was being held in prison, and the news of the things that Jesus was doing had, had come to him. And he was having some doubts, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine exactly what John was going through, as I don't know that any of us have spent time in prison <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but sometimes when we have a lot of time to, to think and dwell on something, our, our mind begins to doubt what we have believed. And here we see John needing some reassurance that Jesus was the Messiah. So John tasked two of his disciples with going to Jesus to seek reassurance that he was truly the Messiah. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus told these disciples that they were to repeat the stories of the miracles that were happening, that were taking place, and how people were being raised from the dead. And as the disciples turned and left, Jesus turned back to the crowd, the people that were surrounding him, and he talks to them for a bit about the life of John the Baptist. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> And he references the book of Malachi in, the, in, in Matthew. He refers to Malachi 1. Jesus said, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. And later in uh, Matthew 11, verse 14, he refers to Malachi 5, where it says that Elijah would come before the... <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And Jesus said that this is Elias. So we can see how the Old Testament prophets foretold of this time when John the Baptist would be coming to prepare the way for Jesus. So next I want to look at the birth and life of John the Baptist. And this is where Mel is going to come up and he's going to read a few passages for me. So Mel, you can come up at this time. <coughs> so if you could read this passage right there. Luke 1. So the first passage he's going to read is Luke 1, verses 5 through 25, and then verses 57 through 80. Luke 1, verse 5. There were in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both 
righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, Many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife, and my wife well stricken in years. But the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show you these glad tidings. Behold, Thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that those things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless." And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his administration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among men. And then drop down to verse 57 of that same chapter. We'll read 57 to the end of the chapter, 57 through 80. <clears throat> now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. But they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how we, he would have him called. For he asked for a writing tablet, writing table, and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt around them, and all those things were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard him laid 
them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zacharias, was, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the home, in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and turn the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we might, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in shadow of death to guide our feet unto the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. Okay, I was, I'm not going to spend much oh. time on his, his <clears throat> Luke three birth, but so Mel will be reading Luke three one through twenty two for you now. Okay. <coughs> Luke three verse one. Now, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea and of the region Trachonotus and Lysanias and Tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able to, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him, saying, What shall we do? <clears throat> and he answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to a man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the, people's, and the people were 
in expectations, and all men mused in the hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat in his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved, reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's the end of 22. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Thank you, Mel. Okay, so like I said, I'm not going to spend much time looking at um, his birth. <coughs> I want to focus mainly <coughs> now on his, his life and ministry. And as um, Mel read those verses in Luke 3, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy that we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. We see his lifestyle. John's lifestyle was a very simple lifestyle. He dressed in camel's hair and a leather girdle which was common for prophets to be dressed very simply. And this reminds us also of the prophet Elijah, who was described in 2 Kings 1, 7-8. It reads, The king asked, what, do you, what kind of man was it who came to you and told you this? They replied, He had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. The king said, That was Elijah the Tishbite. So we, here we see this was a common garb for a prophet. John also lived in the wilderness, and he ate locusts and wild honey. We notice this is a theme throughout Scripture, that God's messengers and his people were often the poor and the simple. And Jesus actually told John that this was one of the signs that he was the Messiah, that he was preaching the gospel to the poor. The poor were hearing the gospel preached to them. And the kingdom of God is not dependent on being wealthy or your status. <clears throat> and oftentimes those things can actually hinder us from receiving the grace of God. John was also a humble man. You know, in his ministry, he kept directing people to Christ. He was well aware that his mission was to direct people to Christ, not to bring people to himself. It was not about his own ministry, but in essence... He was lighting the torch and then passing it on to Jesus. You know, as Jesus' ministry got started, some of John's disciples even left him and went to follow Jesus. And a man who didn't have focus on the true meaning of his ministry and who would have lacked humility would have struggled to be okay with a situation like that. But John seems to have had the awareness and proper focus of what was truly important, and he willingly passed on his ministry to Jesus. In John 3, when some of John's disciples and the Jews were having a discussion about purification and 
they were saying, telling John how that people were going to Jesus now for baptism instead of coming to John, his reply to that was, he must increase and I must decrease. So John was truly a humble man as he passed on the torch to Jesus. <clears throat> and then I want to consider for a moment <coughs> excuse me, the ministry of John and the message that he preached. John preached repentance, and we see that in Luke 3, verse 3. And his message was in sync with that of Jesus, and we see that in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 3, 2, we see John preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if we look into the following chapter, Jesus has the same message. In Matthew four seventeen. he is also preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <coughs> Excuse me. John challenges the people to have true repentance and not to make excuses for a lack of repentance in their life, but to have true repentance from within their heart. And we see that in verse 8 of Luke 3. You know, we see that he understood who his audience was because he, you know, urged them not to claim the um, connection to Abraham, their father, as in order to avoid repentance. John pointed out that this connection to Abraham wasn't enough. God wants more than a connection to a family tree. He wants true repentance. If God wanted people that were connected to Abraham, John tells them he could have simply created more out of the rocks laying there in the desert. So God values a heart that produces the fruits of repentance. You know, he, then we see the people asking him, you know, what should we do? And it's interesting as I looked over the groups of people that came to him and they asked him, <clears throat> what should we do? And we see that John tells them to relate well to the people in their lives. Each one of them that came and ask the question, what should we do? You know, when we <clears throat> come with a heart of repentance, he urged them to treat the people well in their lives. And whatever, whatever state they found themselves in, the soldiers, he said, you know, do no violence. And he told the Pharisees, don't take more than that's yours. Actually, it was the scribes. But the group of uh, religious people, he said, you know, don't exact more than is yours. Be a fair person. Be kind. And so I think the lesson we can take from that is that repentance will, true repentance will affect our relationship. <clears throat> it will affect in how we relate to those around us. John also proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. John's message and preaching acknowledged Jesus for who he was. It acknowledged Jesus for his greatness and his power. And he acknowledged his own unworthiness next to Jesus. And in verse 17 um, in Luke 3 reminds us of the language in Malachi where the prophet spoke of the one who was coming to bring cleansing and to burn off the impurities with fire. <coughs> me. John was also the man that baptized Jesus. We see that in Luke 3.21. You know, as a forerunner to Jesus, it seems fitting that he would be the man who baptized him. Jesus came to John at the Jordan River for baptism. And at first, John did not want to do it. He said, you know, you 
Jesus should be the one baptizing me. But when Jesus explained to him that, no, this is, this is the way it needs to be, John was willing to go ahead and baptize him. And I think this is a great picture of humility for us to learn from. You know, as Jesus comes to John, John recognizes him for who he is. He recognizes his own need for Jesus in his life, that Jesus should be the one baptizing him. But when Jesus explained what needed to be done, he was willing to serve. And Jesus, who was the Son of God, was willing to be baptized by John, and he was willing to identify alongside us as sinners. Baptism signifies the cleansing of a sinner, and Jesus, as a sinless Son of God, <clears throat> went through this ritual and identified with us in that. Excuse me. And then briefly, I think many of us are familiar with his um, imprisonment and death. We see that at the end of our reading here. John was in prison because of his preaching, how he had spoken out about Herod's wickedness and for his marriage to Herodias. And Herodias, Herod's wife, in um, seeking revenge on John requested the head of John the Baptist um, through her daughter. And so John was executed because of his willingness to preach the truth and so ended the life of this dedicated messenger of the Lord. He had faithfully fulfilled his calling that God had given him. And so in closing, there's just a few uh, lessons, I think great lessons for us contained here in, in the life of John the Baptist. I think God calls each one of us today also to prepare the way for him. God is still looking for people who are willing to carry forth the message to those who are not a part of his family. You know, we need to prepare the way for Christ. And what I mean by that is that we should live our life in a way that prepares the heart of people to receive the message of gospel. Yes, the Holy Spirit can and does work to convict sinners. But the actions of the life of a believer can affect how that person responds to that prodding of the Holy Spirit. The words that we speak, they can amplify the hills or, or the valleys as we see in Isaiah 1, or it can smooth them out. We can either make the hurdles for an unbeliever to receive Christ bigger, or we can help them to be smaller. When an unbeliever sees a faith lived in peace and grace, the Christian life will be a lot more attractive. When the sinner sees the child of God producing the fruits of the Spirit, he can recognize a difference and want that change for himself. And can we also, like John, keep our focus on the mission and not our own, on our own welfare? You know, we do well to learn from the humility of John the Baptist. Our old heart of flesh and our humanity often likes to rise up and claim what we can for ourselves. (coughs) But this is not the way of the kingdom of heaven. God resists those who have pride, but it lifts up those who have humility. He will care and provide for his children who live with a Christ-like spirit. And John also teaches us how to deal with doubts. John was human just like the rest of us. You know, there was that time when he was in prison where he was doubting who the Messiah was. But John went to the source of truth. He went to Jesus Christ, and he had his doubts taken away. We need to go to Christ, the true source of assurance and peace. And also, lastly, dedication to Christ and holy living 
<coughs> is not a life of ease. You know, we can look at John the Baptist and he faithfully fulfilled his calling that God had for him. And Jesus' testimony about John in Matthew 11, 11 was that John was indeed a great man. But in the eyes of the world, he probably didn't look like a great man. He lived in the desert dressed in, am- in animal skins and he lived off the land, probably was not seen as a success. And then he ended up a martyr for his preaching. But God is not looking for those who appear successful in this world, but he's looking for a person who lives out in loving obedience to him. With these thoughts, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. (coughs) Dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you at the close of this service. We thank you for examples in scripture, like John the Baptist, who were willing to live out in loving obedience to you. We thank you for the message of grace, the message of the gospel of peace. And I just pray that we could receive that message and that we could live in loving obedience to you. And I just pray that you would be with us as we, again, think about the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. I just pray that we could live out the meaning of the gospel as we go about our daily lives. I just pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ken, do you have a song? Yeah, let's stand together and sing number 64 in uh, Zion's Praises.